episode 122 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 26th of April 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Let's talk about some great news, and that is that the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars has flown not once, not twice, but three times since we last recorded. And we didn't embarrass ourselves. No, Linux and Open Source powered a lot of it with video and everything. This is a smashing success, an interplanetary success for Linux. Did we talk about the GitHub badge last time? I don't think we did, which is very cool as well. GitHub have done this thing where if you've contributed code to a specific project, then you get a little badge showing up in your profile. They did one before, which was the uh, Code Vault, which is some projects that they've archived away and stored safely in the bottom of a mountain somewhere. Well, if you contributed code to any of the open source projects used in Ingenuity, you also get a cool little badge, which is very smart. I try to watch it kind of as it happens as much as you can watch these things as they happen um, with the long delay. But the, it's very it's interesting watching it in contrast to something that SpaceX produces now because NASA feels very much like a, a bedroom setup in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still exciting because, you know, you just you saw the data coming in and you saw someone looking sternly at their Mac. It was, I think they were all Macs in that room um, before, pronounce it, before sharing their screen and pronouncing it a success. But yeah, an actual helicopter flying on another planet is pretty cool. I read, I think, and I, I might be misremembering the numbers here, but I think the, the number was 10 times less air density on Mars than there is on Earth. So the, the rotor blades have to spin that much faster to shift that, you know, that extra amount of air they need to stay aloft. Um, and to do that three times in the last couple of weeks just seems extraordinary. And just, yeah, just what a reliable, incredible machine. <laughs> I um, it's better that I've once flew a quadcopter and it went up over the house, over the neighbor's house and landed in the middle of the road. I was terrified. I'd actually, you know, dislodged a family traveling, you know, for Sunday lunch and they were in the wall, but luckily they were. <laughs> and imagine what the kind of emergency routines must look like, what they, the kind of scenarios they've had to deal with in case something happens, because it's all got to be run autonomously. Those, that code must all be there, you know, running. I wonder what kind of scenarios they've envisaged. Aliens attacking. <laughs> <laughs> because they were only able to test it in a tiny like chamber where they couldn't really move horizontally very far at all. And so it really was like this new experience for them. They didn't know what was going to happen when it moved. Because mm-hmm. the first flight was just up and down, just a quick test. Second one was up a bit higher, a bit longer. But then this third one that happened yesterday, I think, that went up and then sideways, and then back and down. And you can even see video of it, like it goes out of shot and then comes back in shot. And that is something that they could not test on Earth, apparently. Amazing. I can't wait to see the really high-altitude pictures to really get a feeling for how small that robot is on the surface of Mars. It's going to be amazing. Ubuntu 21.04 has been released then, and the desktop as using Wayland by default, which is, this is the second go at that, isn't it, Will? Back in your day, you tried it once and then quickly reverted. Yeah, back then we needed things like um, remote desktop sharing for enterprise customers and that when your Wayland session crashed, which back in those days it did a little bit more frequently, um, you didn't lose your entire desktop session as well. So yes, yeah, so we backed away from that, but um, seeing it back again, it makes me think that it must be ready for the big time. And you've got the Active Directory integration now, 
And if you read the official announcement, it does feel very enterprisey. Like you said, like that that's kind of what feels like it's driving the desktop now is they want to make it like this serious enterprise player. Yeah, I was surprised to read the press release and see how much desktop coverage was in there for the last, I don't know, few years, let's say. It's been very light on desktop, you know, and also ran really. But this, it, it felt like it was leading with desktop, leading with the enterprise desktop, which is uh, a really good thing for Ubuntu to be able to get a business model of enterprise users behind what is effectively a free product really helps to keep it relevant, keep it fresh and keep the money coming in to keep the thing going. That said, have you seen the default wallpaper? <laughs> <laughs> now, it's called Hirsute Hippo, right? That's the code name for the development release or whatever. And Hirsute means hairy and hippo is hippopotamus. And the desktop background the wallpaper is a picture of a hairy hippo in the water like half submerged as hippos tend to do now okay that's one way of looking at it another way of looking at it is it looks like a pair of bollocks and a pair of hairy breasts (laughs) how did this happen like how was that uh, what I think it says a lot about you, really. Mm. It's like a Rorschach diagram. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is well Rorschach. Come on. Everybody who sees it, sees it. You're telling me you didn't see it when you looked at it? You don't get a wallpaper on a bash terminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose that's the, the saving grace here. This is an interim release, like right in the middle as well, between LTSs. So not that many people are going to be using it. But, I mean, come on. Like, how did that pass all of the management and everything like what the fuck it's just ridiculous i'm sure that the designer did not have that in mind i'm sure it was a complete accident but surely there is like some checks and balances like some meetings that happen and like surely someone did was everyone just too scared to say "Uh, hang on looks like a pair of bollocks and a pair of breasts that aside there's also all the flavors and Jory has done a post on omg ubuntu as usual and that's worth reading we'll link to that i think the highlight for me is ubuntu which has got the 4.16 release now which does look and act mostly the same as the previous release really which is good i know shock horror but it does have fractional scaling now and has got various improvements and has been doing really well and i spoke to sean about that on late night linux extra recently and uh, he's done a good job of uh, wrangling that. It's a good release. I- I've been using it for months, to be honest, like way before it was even a beta or anything on one of my laptops. And it's been absolutely rock solid from months ago, like even last year. Good work, team. But the bottom line is that none of us are going to use this because it's an interim release. We're not <laughs> going to use it seriously, are we? Uh, no, unfortunately not. But the, I do like the fact that the hardware enablement stack is getting sort of developed as part of this and it looks like the mm. networking stack is going to be part of that for the server side so that's quite interesting i find they're really useful especially if you've got lts servers where you just really do not want to be upgrading stuff to still get all the new driver updates and things like that that have been coming through so i think that'd be quite cool yeah and i think that these interim releases serve as a kind of window into what we're going to see in the lts and it looks like we're finally going to be in a situation where the ubuntu lts is using wayland on the desktop that that's big i think yeah, for me, because that's a point for my predictions. 
I also really like the way the Yarrow theme's developing, notwithstanding their background. I think it's, even as a KDE user, but I use dark mode, um, and I really do like the dark mode on the new Ubuntu desktop. I think it's really nice. I've never been a huge fan of the panel on the left or the, the huge icons that it defaults to using, but I think they're slowly being... I'm, I'm slowly appreciating the improvements that the design team are making there. I think that's a really great example of a community-led project as well, doing really great work visible work in front of millions of desktop users for Ubuntu. So yeah, they're, they're a great team and um, they've done a really good job. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with the choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit, and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. So failing, it's time for you to have a good cry, <laughs> like you were in our private Telegram group this week. The initial preview of GUI app support is now available for the Windows subsystem for Linux. WSLG, they're calling it. Sounds great. <laughs> I don't see any issue with that at all. <laughs> What's interesting is that, once again, this is using Wayland to give you proper Linux desktop applications, GUI applications, that you can install and have as part of your Windows Start menu. And they're right there on the uh, taskbar and everything with a little penguin showing you that they're uh, Linux apps. And it's using Microsoft's own Linux distro to do this. And Weston, as a compositor, I can't believe that we're here because you have been able to hack this together, right, for using your own X server and whatever. But this is proper official GUI app support. It's only for the Windows Insider builds at the moment, but this is going to be a thing soon. And you are genuinely quite upset about this failing, or at least you were. Maybe I was being pessimistic at the time, but I mean, I think this is a pretty big nail in a coffin for desktop Linux in any sense, unless people are willing to completely forego a lot of enterprise stuff that you know windows will bring you where you can say okay well i'm just going to roll out vms everywhere which yeah some places will do that but any sort of chance you had uh with a, a suite of software packages they've kind of sewn that up now quite nicely and yeah i mean you can always make the counter argument that more eyeballs more people using the code they might then try out linux yeah maybe i doubt it I haven't tried out much Windows now that I've been using Proton to play a few games. So, I mean, I don't see how that's relevant at all. So, Yeah, I, I originally thought that it would be very good for the Linux desktop to get people to not be scared of it, if you like. I, I'm coming around to your way of thinking, Phelan, that I don't think it is necessarily good for the uh, for the Linux desktop. But I'm not convinced that it's bad for the Linux desktop either, because I think that people who want to use Windows 
will use Windows. If they have to use it at work, if they want to use it at home, they will do. I don't think we'll convince those people to come to Linux if they're already wedded to the Windows ecosystem. So I don't think it will be a net loss either. Time will tell on that one. Um, But I just think that if you're already using desktop Linux, you're just going to keep on using desktop Linux. Until it becomes so easy to use Windows with the Linux apps that they say, oh, no, from now on, you can't use your Linux desktop in this company. You have to use the Windows and then use WSL. Those people either will continue to use Linux at home, in which case, fine, or, you know, they weren't really fighting the good fight anyway. So whatevs. Well, I'm thinking more of companies mandating uh, the use of WSL over any other forms of deployment, etc. That might even be companies that previously allowed you to use a Mac, say, uh, if you're a developer. They might say now, oh no, AD everywhere, uh, and WSL is good enough for doing all our deployment tasks. We're not going to buy any of those items for you guys, which is kind of what I think Microsoft's overall plan at the start was anyway. But I think we have sort of lent to our own downfall somewhat with this, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it might be pessimistic, but I mean, their company out to make money. They don't give a damn about us or anything. So, I mean, why shouldn't they just steamroll over us as well? I don't know. WSLG is the Linux desktop. I mean, it is Linux. Um, it's just sitting on top of like a Windows on a Windows kernel, shell, or proprietary platform, no different to the proprietary firmware in your monitor or in other parts of your PC that you can't get to. It sounds kind of outdated and old-fashioned to say that we still expect people to actually switch to a Linux desktop because of the advantages it brings. If we'd better use those 20 years to actually kind of unify on a few things, then maybe we'd have had a chance. But I don't know, maybe I'm sounding defeatist. I mean, it does... It is a very interesting question, but ultimately this is precisely what Linux was developed for and what the licenses allow. And I think it it needs to be celebrated in a way. These people are running Linux. It just happens to be sitting on top of something called Windows. Yeah, absolutely. But I I would term it in the same thing that I would say about Android and the fact that I I feel Android is as little Linux as Windows subsystem for Linux is. Neither of them, you know, they pay enough lip service from kind of opposite ends of the spectrum you know, one's a, a Linux kernel with a, a proprietary, well, almost proprietary thing on top. And then the other one is a, a Windows system that has Linux user interface level. Mm. I'm pessimistic about it, but then again, I don't care. I, I don't want all those people <laughs> coming, ruining this OS for us anyway. So, What about the fact that Microsoft are pitching this as a way to develop Linux GUI applications? Like in their press release about this. Ah, they're full of shit. <laughs> Quite honestly, they're full of shite. They would say that, wouldn't they? Why would they make it so that you can use Linux GUI apps, though? Because anything that they can do to swallow as much of everything as they can as possible is probably their end goal to a certain extent. If they were given away licensed copies of Windows for free and it was still closed source and then you could do this Linux thing, I might feel different about it, but they still make a lot of money based on people using Office 365 and Windows and AD and all the corporate client access licenses and all that stuff. And if they can keep you on that, no matter what they have to do to get you there, I mean, obviously they realize a lot of their products are shite now in the web development way that things are done, containers spun up and down. Their tech is not the leader on this. Linux-based container systems are... And they need to keep those guys sweet. And if they have to do that in order to, that you use 
their back-end infrastructure, then that's exactly what they'll do. One of the claims of their press release was to run native Linux applications that you previously couldn't run on Windows. And I was trying to think what applications there are that fit that relatively small market. And I can't think of any. I wonder if there are some 3D rendering applications that you can only get for Linux. But I was really struggling to think what the killer app is that they're trying to enable there. Yeah, because they used the example of Audacity. And that was mostly to show off the fact that they've got Pulse working and you know, microphone access, and it's all integrated nicely. But ultimately, who the fuck is going to use the Linux version of Audacity on WSL when you can just download a Windows native version? Yeah. So I, I, it will be interesting to see what people do with it. I, I will like to see some of the things that come out of it. There'll be some interesting hacks and there'll be some fun projects, but will there be any useful work done? I would like to know what that is. Yeah, I mean, the, the only good thing we get out is the fact that if we were BSD licensed, we would have given them all of this and they could have kept it all and not let anybody have it. So at least we weren't that naive. Another advantage is you can run Linux apps and have suspend and resume work. <laughs> I could see um, Plasma running on this. I could see the whole desktop environment perhaps even being running running on it one day. That'd be quite exciting. I don't know what it gives anybody, though. That's the thing. Like, the worst part about Windows is its update system and its kernel. And and to be honest, its drivers. I mean, for the devices I have, all my drivers work better if I was to use what I'm using right now with a Linux kernel. Yeah, and I think that's what Will was saying was would hopefully drive people to a more native experience. But that would also get it in front of millions more people, maybe, than would ordinarily see it. I don't know. I, I still think that software is just aping hardware so fast these days that if they can get it to start to work even shoddily now, by the time it comes around to WSL3, it'll be even better than that. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. On to a bit of admin then, and thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. Remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. You can check that out at latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. The next Community Mumble get-together will be on Friday the 7th of May at 10pm UK time. Details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. And check out Late Night Linux Extra 20 for one of the conversations we had recently about how long you're willing to support people and how far you're willing to go once you've switched them to Linux. It was a good conversation. That was from a couple of meetups ago. The last one that we had on Friday night went on till four in the morning. So six hours of just talking about all sorts of stuff from Linux and philosophical stuff. And it was uh, good. We're getting a real community going there. So do uh, check it out. All you need is mumble, headphones and push to talk. And uh, all the details anyway, latenutlinux.com slash mumble. I wanted to ask the audience this. 
Apple have definitely announced this, and Spotify looks like they're going to announce it, a uh, podcast subscription thing where you can basically pay for podcasts. Those of you who are using Spotify or Apple Podcasts on iPhones or whatever, would you be interested in getting the advert-free feed on there? My initial instinct was like, no, fuck that. Apple want to take 30%, fuck them. But then, I don't know, if the Patreon thing is a bit awkward and copying the RSS feed URL and all that is a bit of a, you know, just a nightmare and you want something simple that's integrated with the Apple payment system or Spotify, or whatever, is that something that you want us to do? Because, you know, if if loads of people say we want it, then we'll do it. But otherwise, we won't. So let us know anyway, latenetlinux.com slash contact. And a quick Fostalk Live update. There's not really anything to update. Martin Wimpress and Maris Kwabek of NerdZoom Media are working on it. I realized that like, I know nothing about live streaming and video, and they kindly offered to do it all for me. So they are on that apparently and are going to be working it all out soon. But just make sure that you mark your calendars for the 12th of June. That's when it's going to happen in the evening UK time. Let's talk about the University of Minnesota, or a complete shower of bastards, <laughs> as I might like to call them. So some students and faculty decided to do a research project of could they sneak shit code into the Linux kernel, into open source projects, specifically the Linux kernel. And they almost did, and it all blew up. Greg KH got very mad and banned their whole domain from uh, you know anyone with an email at umn.edu is banned from the Linux kernel, basically. And this has been a whole drama and people have said that oh, Greg wasn't following the code of conduct and all the rest of it. But it, it shone a light on a potential problem, vulnerability with the way open source is developed that we saw recently with FreeBSD and didn't really talk about here. I talked about on Two and a Half Admins with Jim and Alan. But we do potentially have a problem here that they were trying to shine a light on and just did it in a very bad way. For me, that's the main issue, is that they didn't speak to anyone with any kind of authority before doing this. Now, I, I realise that that would kind of give the game away with what they're trying to do. But I'd have thought, as, as Greg said, they don't want to be they've experimented upon. Um, and also, this is like almost the second time they've done it. And it's just incredibly impolite. If you're going to test the, the security of some system, get in touch with the people who are responsible for maintaining it and seeing if it's worth wasting their time you know, reviewing bogus pull requests, even though it's resulted in what is potentially a weakness in in the way the code is contributed and scrutinized, which I accept is a valid point. Um, I still think that you should have asked for permission. The thing I have a problem with is the fact that you can do this in a company as well. I don't see why open source has to be so special with it. Yes, if you want to be sinister, you can go to a company as an employee and do sinister things. The amount of internal espionage that takes place in companies is massive so i'm not so sure it was valuable at all i mean nefarious people will do nefarious things and you're just lucky whether you catch them or not but shouldn't the linux kernel be more robust than that given that it is arguably the most important bit of software on the planet well did they actually manage to get anything into it i don't think they did i think they were caught by the system well, my understanding is that you're right, that they did get caught just in time, but I don't think that is a solid argument for saying that it is robust enough, given that 
they almost did it. Same with FreeBSD as well. And, you know, I was not one to shit on FreeBSD on this show. I deliberately didn't. And now I'm fucking glad that I didn't because the problem is not unique to FreeBSD, it seems. I don't think it's even measurably close how bad FreeBSD messed up with theirs compared to maybe a one or two buffer memory overflows or whatever, you know? Well, that's arguable and that's a whole drama that we avoided uh, talking about and I don't really want to drag it up here. But I think that it is a reasonable comparison, let's put it that way. And I don't think that it's unique to those two projects. It seems to be, I mean, you've made a reasonable argument, Phelim, to say that it's not unique to open source even. No, I don't think so. And it's it's not even unique to access to the source code, as SolarWinds has proven quite nicely, that they managed to get that in there and it bypassed all sorts of checks for compiled code. So, I mean, if there's humans in the link, that's the flaw. I mean, I'm not saying that everything has to be statically checked everywhere and that's going to be foolproof. I don't think that's the case either. But to, to a certain extent, errors are always there. Is it possible to automate those checks? I mean, we do have a lot of automated checking at the moment, but is it possible to stop all bugs and security issues and nefarious shit sneaking in? It, it doesn't seem possible to me, but maybe one day? I think Joe Resident Software International will be a multi-billion trillion company by that point. What we need is... AI, machine learning, and blockchain. (laughs) And we can sell the resulting rubber-stamped code as NFTs. (laughs) I think actually Phelan's right, but I still think it's an opportunity and to kind of do a a post-mortem on what this actually means for the processes. And it's always worth a period of introspection to see if anything more could be done. I think the problem is nobody likes being told either something they already knew was bad or been shown up and i think this project has managed to do both of those two things because they tried to do it for the second time with that static checker that they supposedly wrote that just seemed to produce a spurious garbage apparently um and you know i think you're better off to work with a project on these things as you've said it's just polite in it at the end of the day and this was just rude and potentially contravening the research doctrine of even their university yeah and you can't help feel that there's a little bit of trying to do this to get your names in a paper and trying to get a a bit of kind of exposure that way at the expense of the Linux kernel. And the second paper follow-up, as people were saying on on, uh, LWN, where they say, you know, this is just written the second paper already, the reaction, and then the reaction to the reaction. (laughs) And there's academia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Datadog the full-stack observability platform for real-time Linux monitoring. Create drag-and-drop dashboards to easily monitor enriched log data, seamlessly trace requests across distributed systems, and pivot between correlated data for rapid troubleshooting. With Datadog, you can improve performance with proactive alerts forecasting Linux OS resource usage and more. Break down communication barriers and add context to those alerts by notifying your team members through the tools you already use, such as Slack, page duty or others try datadog and get full visibility into your environment today at datadog.com slash late night linux sign up for a two-week trial create a dashboard and you'll receive a free datadog t-shirt that's datadog.com slash late night linux let's do a quick kde corner then the first one is that Krita arrives in the epic store for quite a lot of money for what is free to download elsewhere yeah, they were a beneficiary of the Epic Me- Mega Grant. Um, so then when Epic expanded their store, they actually said, okay, great, 
we'll get on board there. So, I mean, I think that's good that they're in there. Um, and they're also on the Windows Store as well. And I think they've done well out of that. So, uh, yeah, I don't see why they shouldn't. I mean, it's a good piece of software. So I think the price, even though it seems like a lot to us who get it as part of a distro, if you're on Windows, then, yeah, I think that's a great bargain. Yeah, the screenshot they've got is €7.99, which is, compared to Photoshop, just nothing. And there's been a lot of backlash about Photoshop, so maybe maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. Because they're on the Steam store as well, as far as I know. Uh, I haven't seen it there, to be quite honest. But yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, and I suppose like the perceived value of stuff, if you have to pay for it, then it's probably quite good, which we know that it is. Whereas if it's free, people will just think, oh, that's just free and useless. So yeah, fair play to them. Hopefully, loads of people buy it and support the project. Uh, KDE in Kerala. What's this? Kerala, yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to put in a good news story about poor old India at the moment. Uh, they've been getting a bit of a bad time in the news. So while KDE isn't doing as well as, say, GNOME would be in Kerala, they've been actually using quite a lot of the software out of it, like Gcompri, Gcompri, or whatever they were, I'm supposed to say it. Oh, yeah, Gcompri, yeah. Uh, Kpaint, Kstars, and they've been using loads of things like uh, KDN Live as well through schools. So I think it's good that they just get a bit of a shout out and they're all obviously missing the fact that there's no conferences on this year, but they've tried to do some online stuff as well. So I think that's good and uh, deserves a bit of a shout out. And Peru's comics with a K. Yeah, I know nothing about comics, but this seems to be popular for people. So I just thought this is in beta right now. And I thought if people are interested in that sort of thing, they should try it out. So Peru's being the software that you can view comics in. Yeah, web comics. Uh, and there's a whole lot of new features, and it's a rebuild using uh, Quick 2. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I think they're probably aiming towards getting that on the phone as well to make it nice and easy, and also, in general, just easier to develop with modern toolkit for it. Fair enough. And another one in Nico's video series, this time the Plasma Panel. Yeah, he's just doing loads of cool videos. Very simple to follow. Uh, relaxing music. It almost is like the start of one of the REM tracks from Daft Punk every time I listen to one. Um, it must be something to do with his accent and the music in the background. But yeah, uh, how, do, how the panel works, uh, getting people into it, see how they can tweak stuff, making minor changes and uploading code changes. So if you've got a, a, lo- a long lunch break, you can stick that on, have a, a bit of a watch while you're eating your sandwich. Right, well, all that linked in the show notes. So we'd better get out of here then, and I still haven't changed the music, so I'm going to have to talk a little bit longer about absolute nonsense for a bit while that fades up. Hopefully that's fading up now. Right, so we'll be back next time when we'll be talking about your feedback and some other stuff. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.